Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Lucinda Rouse. And I'm Andy Ricketts. Each week we bring you half an hour of discussion and debate about the important goings-on in the charity world. This week we're seeking to demystify the world of social investment, understand what it is, why it might be a good thing for charities to consider, some of the risks attached, how to go about it and where to find more information. But first, Emily Hall is joining us, our senior reporter, to talk about a recent long read that you've been working on about how charities can connect better with politicians. Emily, do you want to tell us a little bit more about what you've discovered? Yes, of course. So we've just finished up conference season, which has seen all different UK parties lay out their priorities and a lot of charities have had presence at these conferences. So we had the Labour conference, which saw Keir Starmer lay out some very large scale sort of mission statements, a lot of which aligned to various charities' interests, but did lack a bit of policy detail in terms of how he's actually going to implement this. And then on the other hand, we've seen the Conservatives Party conference, which seemed to be quite a mixed bag of different voices. Sunak and Braverman made headlines with their speeches, um, which seemed to sort of veer on the culture war rhetoric side of things. Braverman came under fire from various charity leaders about her comments about the third sector specifically. But after speaking with some charity leaders who had presence at these conferences, such as Sundar Katwala from British Futures, I mean, he told me that these headlines only reflected some of many competed voices at these conferences. And you've got to remember as well that what takes place at the podium that that's just a very small part of what is actually going on you've got all these fringe events i know labor had a lot of fringe events that involved different charities as well and yeah conservatives as well apparently seemed very willing to engage on various issues which for example i spoke to a representative from british youth council and he said that they were very enthusiastic as well to hear about what the charity was wanting so You've got to remember that what you're seeing in the headlines is only a very small section of what's actually going on right now. And of course, I mean, nobody can see into the future, but we may well be seeing a change of government when it does come um, to the next general election. Are there things that charities can be doing now specifically to maybe prepare for that um, possible eventuality? Yes. So one of the key points that came out of my conversations was the importance of relationship building across all of the different political parties. That relationship building is very complex, though, at the moment in this current state. So we've got the Conservatives with this sort of culture war rhetoric that is being propelled. A lot of charities are finding it quite difficult to engage in the midst of all of that. So repairing that relationship on the right with politicians in and around that party and also with politicians who you're on the right of other parties as well it's really really important to sort of repair that relationship and make sure that you've got those strong bonds going forward and we don't know what the new government's going to look like so it's also really important to build on relationships with current Labour backbenchers. A lot of these backbenchers have experience working in the charity sector as well. A lot of them have been councillors, for example, who've engaged with charities on local levels. And then practically speaking, it's obviously very important that these relationships are formed in some cases, consolidated in others, repaired in others. But practically speaking, how can charities go about doing that? What are the most effective forms of engagement according to the people that you spoke to for that piece? So we 
are maybe a bit too late to influence manifesto policies at this point in time. It seems like the parties are fairly clear on where they stand on sort of the most important, the most controversial issues especially. But it's important to keep an eye on those manifestos to see what policies come out that do affect your charity's work, anything that is pertinent to what you do on the day-to-day and also to the charity sector in general. But that's not the only way to influence policy. So after speaking with Dan Corey, chief executive of NPC, he told me that it's really, really important to continue that sort of behind the scenes engagement. Engage with politicians, advisors, because they are going to be key in determining how the new government, whoever that is, advisors are really important to maintain that relationship with because they're going to be key in continuing that engagement after we see a new government great well we watch this space lovely well thanks very much emily if you want to find out more people can find your long read on the third sector website moving on to our main feature we're here to talk about social investment and how charities of all sizes can make use of this form of financing set up to be a tool for positive social change, which also delivers a financial return to the investors. The value of the social investment market has been going up in recent years, but there are still concerns about it being too risky for some charities, while there's sometimes a bit of a tussle between financial returns and the social investment in question. Now, I am very relieved to have two guests who know exactly what they're talking about to help us explain. First up is Katie Saunders, a director at Social Finance, which is a not-for-profit enterprise that partners with other organisations to design, fund and scale projects that tackle social problems and needs from homelessness to child support. Hi, Katie. Hi. Also joining us is Mark Jarman-Howe, Chief Executive of St. Helena Hospice in Essex, which, alongside palliative care, has provided services to other charities through social investment in the form of fundraising lotteries, which we'll hear about a little later. Hello, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Hiya. How are you doing? Am I correct in thinking that you also worked with Katie and the team at Social Finance before? Yeah, we've worked on and off on a few projects over the years. Yet to bring one fully to fruition. Yes, yet to get one <laughs> over the line. Hopefully sooner on later. <laughs> and we're still talking. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> so first things first, Katie, please can you explain what is social investment, social finance, social impact investments? I know there are a lot of interchangeable terms in this space. And how does it differ from more traditional forms of funding such as grants, for example? Yeah, I'd be delighted to. And hopefully I'm really well placed. When I joined social finance about four and a half years ago, I'd worked for the NHS and charities and I had not heard about social investment at all and nor did I understand it. So if I can get my head around it and be excited about it, I think everyone can. I mean, really, it's about partnerships and it's about using finance to bring different organisations together What it's about is repayable finance and using repayable finance to deliver social purpose. So if we take a grant is a one-off payment and nothing ever has to be paid back. To be honest, social investment is really, really broad. So it's anything from a grant where part of it has to be paid back up to things that feel more like a loan with a little bit of interest. I would say that the main thing is about improving outcomes and driving social change. I think the key thing is I think it's also less threatening than some of the traditional forms of finance as well. I think more commercial lenders 
there's a different set of expectations and a different implications in terms of guarantees and terms and things. And I think social finance is very accessible. It's very easy to find out about. And it's also very easy to have exploratory conversations in a way that maybe it's slightly harder with more traditional lenders. And Katie, how has the social investment space evolved and changed in recent years? Oh, it's it's really changed. So I mentioned so about four and a half years ago, when I joined social finance, I hadn't really heard about it. And I would say that in the charity sector and in the statutory sector, I was a bit of a rebel and a change maker. So if there was something new, I wanted to know about it. Even over the past kind of four and a half years, it's now seen as much more of a kind of business as usual transformation tool. It's not a silver bullet, you know, it's not for everything, but I think it should be seen as a really helpful tool in one's toolbox. I mean, Lucinda, you mentioned the market growing. So I did my homework. Between 2011 and 2021, there was a tenfold increase in the market. So that's just enormous. And we're also talking quite big numbers. So 7.9 billion pounds. That is going into charities, social purpose organisations, and it's really significant. I think something that I wanted to make clear as well, which I feel quite strongly about, is if we take that figure, which is enormous, 82% of that reached organisations outside of London, and 60% of that went into the most deprived areas. So, Kind of following on what Mark was saying, if people think like this is just for people in the city of London, this is just for bankers, like it's really not that. So yeah, it's really grown. I'm having to explain it a lot less, which for me is a sign that people are kind of really getting on board and seeing it as a really helpful tool. I mean, you've mentioned that growth, which has obviously been massive over the last sort of 10 years or so. A lot of that, I think, has been driven by social housing in terms of housing associations getting loans to build new homes, which has obviously been a big part of that. Do you think that charities' attitudes towards social finance is changing? Yeah, absolutely. So you're right, about 50% of that growth is to do with housing. I think another third is what Mark was referring to in terms of almost social like borrowing and loans. And that has really gone, I think, to charities and social enterprises. And then there's a proportion which is really focused on kind of outcomes-based contracts. Specifically to answer your question in terms of charities' perceptions and use of it, I think there's been two broad buckets. And then probably, to be honest, Mark can like bring this to life. But from a kind of helicopter view, grant-making charities are increasingly using social investment to drive impact as opposed to a grant. Why are they doing that? often because of worries about sustainability. So charities that make grants can often see a cliff edge at the end, which means great, they've met some unmet need, but actually at the end of the grant, the unmet need remains unmet. Mm. Also, charities are seeing it as a way to really understand the outcomes that they're being delivered. So it is a financial tool and there's a degree of real rigor and measurement as a result. The second part, and I think the part that Lucinda, you mentioned in your intro, is actually charities being the recipient of social investment and seeing it as a really helpful additional revenue stream. So again, we're not here to suggest that people should only have social investment coming in. 
but it's a really helpful diversification. So not only is it a different type of revenue, so it's different to fundraising or other ventures, but it often brings with it expertise and skills not to take over, but to complement. So often the social investment also comes with a huge amount of support, a check and challenge. And I think that's really helpful. And Mark, bringing you in, so St. Helena has quite a heavy emphasis on social investment. Is that correct? What proportion of your income comes from that? Well, I think it's probably easier to put it in context in terms of the sort of the shift in our funding model. So mm-hmm. like a lot of hospices, traditionally, we've received a, about a third of what it costs to provide our care and support in the form of grants from the NHS. And then we've fundraised for the remainder with some retail and stuff mixed in, but a fairly traditional mix of fundraising activities and gifts in wills type income. We've seen over recent years as demand has grown for services and pressure on health and carers sort of meant that they're not always able to step up we haven't been able to rely so much on the traditional fundraising streams because they've not kept pace with the growth in costs and the growth in demand so we've gradually been shifting to trading activities to the extent that 50 percent of our income we're a 20 million pound a year charity now so we're quite large for a local charity 50 percent of that is trading so social investment is a really important part particularly in the sort of pump priming but also the scaling stage of that trading activity and we've used it in a number of different contexts to help us with our sort of commercial ventures but we've also worked with Katie and colleagues at Social Finance to also leverage conversations with commissioners as well so it's also helped us negotiate better terms with the NHS and get a sort of an improved funding model so it's hard to put a sort of specific figure because it tends to come and go Mm -hmm. and it's not always about the the financial value sometimes it's about the conversations it opens up and then actually it improves your position negotiating ongoing finance in that way. So the motivation is quite clear then making sure that you're diversified and helping to meet a growing demand in the face of shrinking budgets elsewhere. So how long have you been working and involved in the social investment space? So we've had sort of involvement probably going back several years now. Um, Our first experience as sort of Andy referenced with our lottery business. Mm -hmm. So St Helena, like a lot of charities, has its own local lottery to raise funds for its own activities. But a number of years ago, we started providing lottery services for other charities. That's grown phenomenally. We've got two brands now, Your Hospice Lottery and Make a Smile Lottery, supporting 35 charities across England and Wales. That's the best part of five million a year in terms of turnover in its own right. And what we did is we accessed a million pounds of funding from Big Issue Invest to actually grow the business. So it helped us to recruit other charities. And the model is that it's basically a gain share. So St. Helena takes a share and takes the risk of running the operation and gets a benefit for our purposes. But also we're raising funds for other charities that might not have the capacity or the ability to invest in setting up the lottery in the first place. So it's a really good model that sort of benefits both parties. And that funding from Big Issue Invest was in the form of a sort of fairly traditional repayable loan but with quite flexible terms and conditions and actually quite a lot of flexibility in terms of the drawdown, which you wouldn't normally have with a commercial lender. So we were able to have the confidence of knowing that we had that facility in place. We had the benefit of a really good relationship with a third party that provided a lot of advice and support in the business case and gave some really helpful feedback in terms of how we were running the operation. But also we knew that we had that funding facility as and when we needed it. And what that allowed us to do was to recruit more players and recruit 
recruit more partners, which has benefited both us and a number of other good causes around the UK. Mm. And how was the process of setting up that lottery and then expanding it to be a service to other charities? Like, were you set up internally? Did you have the expertise that you needed in-house to do that? So to begin with, no. (laughs) Um, That was a big sort of leap of faith. And I think one of the things that I think is interesting from a charity perspective, thinking about social investment, is the thinking of the board and how it fits with your strategy and how it fits with appetite for risk and all those sorts of issues as well. So it touches on a lot of sort of Mm. quite key strategic and governance issues for trustees as well. But I think probably the key challenge was that initial buying into the concept of actually starting to develop a business strand that was going to be a new sustainable income stream and that that would involve operating in a new way, investing in capacity. And I think once trustees have got their head around the fact that sometimes you have to invest in capacity that doesn't directly benefit your charitable purpose, sometimes you've got to build the infrastructure to generate the return that then later down the line gives you that sustainable ability to invest, then actually the rest of it was relatively straightforward. It was then just thinking about, well, actually, what skills do we need? What resources do we need? And gradually we went from a one local partner to 35 organisations. And that's been a series of iterative investments over the years where we've built that capacity and a sort of a national recruitment and, and sort of national partnering strategy. I've got just one more example, if, if I may, which I'm seeing increasingly from charities, which I think is quite interesting. So charities really thinking about their impact and how they reach the people that they're there to serve. And one way, obviously, is to raise more money and expand their operation as a charity. So employ more people, crudely speaking. I am getting approached by people who are increasingly thinking, actually, we need to support communities where they are. And the best way for us to do that is to actually invest in the community itself. So really, really small organisations. And and that's just another way of actually charities not necessarily giving a social outcomes contract, but actually wanting to support charities that either are smaller than themselves or are part of a community that they're not. And I just think that's quite an interesting trend that I'm seeing. I think it's all about just thinking, Charities are in a really privileged position. They really understand unmet need and they also have money. I know we're talking about charities of all shapes and sizes, but I think just considering social investment makes you think, I've got a really powerful pound in my hand and like, what is the most impactful way to use that? And sometimes it's a grant, sometimes it's investing in others and that's how you're going to deliver impact. And sometimes it's becoming an investor as Mark's just described. So I think for me, that's what I find really exciting about it. One of the things that Mark mentioned earlier there was about risk appetite. And Mm. obviously that's been a concern, I think, for a lot of charities. I mean, historically, charities, I think a lot of organisations have been quite wary and scared of the possibility of taking on a loan, getting into debt. I think trustees have often been quite cautious about that. Mm. What would you say to charities that might be sort of thinking that way? Funnily enough, if you are wanting to get social investment, you know, the social investors will do their due diligence. 
So I would say to charities that are interested, turn the tables, like do your due diligence that, you know, the social investment market, as we've just described, has grown. There are lots of different types of social investors that all have slightly different values, slightly different missions and slightly different approaches. I think Big Society Capital and Good Finance website have tons of information and also will signpost to different types of social investment that people can get. Personally as well, I just think it's about relationships. So in my experience, social investors, as Mark said, it is very different from a commercial type of relationship. We do a lot of work with Macmillan Cancer Support, as an example, and they are investing in other charities as well as the NHS. They don't want any return at all. They just want the service to be sustained. So I would say if you're considering it, do a bit of research and almost make sure that that you are comfortable with the organisation you're going to partner with. I also think actually charities often have their own investment portfolio. So like investment as a concept isn't that alien. But funnily enough, when it comes to social investment, which is mission aligned, people get more nervous. And I just think that's that's an interesting phenomenon that we see. I would say probably as a charity, you probably are in some shape or form involved in some type of investment. And this is about finding something that might work for you. I would say just being completely transparent. I think if you are a charity that is providing service and your current contract, for example, might be what I would describe as a block contract or you're receiving a grant with very few strings to deliver that service. The outcomes-based social investment will really, really focus on whether that service, that intervention is achieving impact and is achieving outcomes. And so therefore you do open yourself up to risk, a risk of having to adapt and change and change the service model in order to deliver outcomes. Personally, I think that's a positive thing. And I think that charities should be challenging themselves to make sure they're delivering that impact. Also, again, from a horizon scanning, in terms of the current financial climate, services that aren't delivering impact, I think are at risk anyway. But you're quite right, there is an element of risk, there's an absolute element of rigour, and a real focus on delivering outcomes. As I said previously, more often than not, and again, this comes back to kind of homework and due diligence, the investment comes with a huge amount of support often for free because everyone wants it to work so it's it's within the social investors interests to get it to work and i think there have been criticisms particularly maybe from some smaller charities that mm. social finance generally is too rigid mm. it's too expensive the amounts they have to pay back are just too much how would you respond to that well i mean To be honest, that's why I am really excited to be working with charities as the social investors themselves, because personally, I think it's a really great offer to the sector. So working with investors where actually you don't have to pay any return back and that it's much more of a partnership. I mean, I think that's a personal perspective and what we're talking about, what we're doing at social finance as an organization i have to say i attended something called the gathering which or it makes it sound a bit secretive doesn't it so it's <laughs> the gathering in leicester and oh there must have been two 300 plus social investors all types of sizes and investing in all types of sectors 
And people were reflecting over the last 10 years that the disproportionate percentage of social investment in housing, as an example, came up. You know, we were reflecting, can we do more? And there were some really compelling talks in terms of if we want to see an increase again, not just in the sector, but in the, in impact, people have to modify. Well, some of the headlines were that social investors now, we've almost started from something where it was all about risk. It was all about being deeply sympathetic and partnering with organisations. I feel then the market has grown, which is wonderful. But with that, the risk appetite of the investors themselves has almost diminished a bit because it's become almost like business as usual. And so I was really pleased to see that as a sector, people were saying, we need to remember where we started and actually be able to really, really take a risk and take a punt and work with smaller organisations. And Mark, have you come across situations at St Helena where you can see, okay, for this work that we're doing or this area of service or whatever it is that social investment is not appropriate and that maybe a grant financing mechanism might be better suited yeah i think it's always important to take a sort of case by case approach i mean i think the benefit of grants is obviously that you've got more certainty in terms of the amount of money that you've got up front and you know less pressure on you in terms of paying back but you've still got to deliver sort of outcomes and expectations associated with the conditions of the grant but I think generally speaking if you are able to get grant funding that meets your needs and there's no interest and no expectation of repayment then that's always going to be preferable (laughs) over any other source of income that you might be able to generate. I think where social investment comes into its own is where you're thinking about that sort of sustainability piece and you're thinking about sort of strategic direction of the organisation. And I think for us where we've got a number of projects where actually key to those is taking a sort of 10, 20 year view of whether they're going to be successful or not, then I think that allows you to think very differently because there are very few grant funders they might help you with the initial pump priming, but they're not going to help you through the duration. So actually, that's where that sort of mixed approach is, is really quite helpful, is that it can be the the key to actually finding a sustainable new income stream that supports you in the long run. And therefore, it's worth paying that slight premium to achieve that, which a grant wouldn't necessarily be able to, to help you with. That might just help you with a step, but it's not going to help you with the whole journey. And are there any challenges or downsides of pursuing that it sounds great I can't think of anything that could possibly go wrong (laughs) well I think it comes back to sort of the point around due diligence really at the end of the day if a business case is sound it really shouldn't matter too much how you fund it because actually the idea is good the impact's good you've got clarity about how it's going to be executed and delivered and accountabilities etc so at the end of the day I think the focus needs to be not on the funding first and foremost it needs to be on the the project, the initiative, whatever it is. And actually, if that's sound, then you should have the confidence to explore a range of sort of funding opportunities associated with that. I think what it does is it pushes you to think much more clearly about return on investment and about actually the discipline commercially that you need to deliver on this. And I think there's a clear trend, isn't there, in the charity sector recognising that there's got to be more sort of commercial business nous in how we deliver our sort of charitable purpose. And in a way, Aside from its funding benefit, I think social investment is very helpful in terms of sort of imposing 
a framework and a structure and a discipline to your thinking because you're then, you know, you're required to repay it. There is a risk if you're not in a position to repay it or you don't meet your terms and conditions. So you need to think a little bit carefully about exposure of trustees and their legal responsibilities. But generally speaking, the terms and conditions in my experience are not at all onerous and it's perfectly possible to um, insure against uh, those sort of very unusual risks. I think the only other thing is that it might distract you from other things that you need to be doing as an organisation. And actually, if it doesn't Mm -hmm. sit within a clear, wider strategy and sort of set of capability building that you're progressing as an organisation, you could become a little bit lopsided by focusing prematurely or Mm -hmm. extensively on that area and then not taking care of business elsewhere in the organisation. So I think as there's a sort of distraction risk potentially. Absolutely. And is that something that you've encountered or is the fact that you're providing lottery services to other hospices and then other charities as opposed to I don't know a supermarket sort of make it easier to maintain the focus well I mean my my view is just my view on this but I, I feel very strongly that sort of social investment is a tool it's not an end in itself although as a tool it can have all sorts of really positive sort of secondary consequences and and sort of benefits so first and foremost what is it you're trying to achieve as an organisation? For us, there are two things we've been focused on, both of which actually it happens social investment have been helpful with. One is on an agenda of ever greater integration within the health and care system, because we want to take more of a population approach to meeting the need of our beneficiaries. That allows us to be more proactive, but also recognises that that's a more efficient way of delivering services and also ends up in a more joined up experience of care for people receiving the care and support as well. So we've wanted to pursue that agenda, which means negotiating different arrangements, both in funding and operational terms with how things work with the NHS and with social care providers. And social investment has been really helpful in having conversations about how commissioning can flex and look different to facilitate that more integrated care model. But then also we've been very explicit as an organisation in saying we know that to meet need, we actually do need to scale. And there are opportunities for us to benefit a wider cohort of people in our local area through the ethos, the holistic values and stuff that we bring. But the only way we're going to achieve that is if we invest in trading. So for us, it actually the commitment to developing new income streams and a trading infrastructure and embracing more of the sort of social enterprise playbook, as well as the traditional charity playbook, that then made it very clear that social investments sat, sat very comfortably and clearly with that agenda. And I wonder if we reflect sort of more broadly on the sort of social investment climate, are there particular changes or things that you'd like to see that would help charities in this area? There's something that's quite close to my heart going back to the huge growth in the market that actually as a sector we're not doing enough in terms of making sure that finance and expertise is fairly distributed so i think about five percent of that has reached black-led or ethnic minoritized charities social enterprises social purpose organizations work is underway to try and rectify that and actually there's an amazing social investor wholesaler i think they describe themselves called the pathway fund and i think they are the first of their kind in terms of they are basically an intermediary and an investor specifically for black-led and ethnic minoritized organizations so i think 
for those organizations, there absolutely needs to be a shift. And I think we're on our way. For me, I think the biggest game changer will be what I would describe as like a demystification of social investment. It's one of the reasons I was really happy to come on today. Again, you know, I haven't come from a finance background. In fact, my whole family think it's hilarious that I've ended up in this job. Maths was never my forte. I've come from the NHS and from charities. And I think without meaning to, and going back to your point about, you know, it's complex, you know, and I think as a sector, we need to just demystify it. So we need to speak in plain English. So something that I'm working on at the moment is like a suite of open source tools. I want to do lunch and learns. So I think that can really shift things. There's an unhelpful power dynamic, I feel, sometimes at play with the person that has the money and the person that wants the money. I would say, actually, the person wants to give you the money just as much as you want it. And I think you just have to meet on an even playing field. And for that to happen, yeah, we have to just use common language and just be kind of open book. I hope I've used common language today. <laughs> Having said that, that's a bit of a setup for myself. But yeah, I think that could really shift things for the better and hopefully make it more accessible to all charities. And how about you, Mark, from a charity leader's perspective? Yeah, I think there's a few things. I mean, I think particularly hospices are really bad at this, but I think I've seen it in other areas of the sort of charity sector as well Is we often don't help each other in terms of collaboration. So I think there's more scope for sort of embracing some of this sort of innovative financing, but doing it as part of a partnership and sort of thinking of it as part of an opportunity of working together, both in terms of trying to de-risk the investment, but also sharing expertise and learning. And actually, if you're doing a project across more than one organisation, then potentially you've got a chance to have more scale, but also you're spreading the risk a little bit. So I think we could probably think about exploring some of these opportunities across organisational boundaries more. I think in terms of making it easier to access, I think there's a lot for charities that work with the public sector closely in particular, and most charities touch on sort of public sector outcomes and services in some way, is actually there's simple things that the public sector can do in terms of just underwriting some of the schemes that are being done in a way that actually doesn't require them to make any upfront commitment, can be very dependent on the outcomes being delivered, but actually them effectively giving their sort of seal of approval to a charity's use of social investment would actually make it the perception of risk both for the trustees as they're receiving that funding, but also for the funders, would make a lot of projects a lot easier to get off the ground. And that's not asking for funding. It's asking for a commitment in principle to the particular initiative, the need for it, and sort of signing off that actually, if those outcomes are achieved, that there's a benefit that actually isn't just for the social investor and for the recipient of the funding. There's always going to be a benefit for society and therefore for the public services that are supporting them as well. And Katie, is there a difference between the sort of opportunities and challenges around social investment depending on the size of a charity? Is it a different ball game for large charities as opposed to like really small ones? From my work to date, and I describe the two buckets of opportunities, I think that it's the larger charities that I'm seeing in terms of opportunity, thinking about how they can use their funding 
in a different way. So shifting, for example, from either their own kind of target operating model or grant making. I think it's the smaller charities that are probably more likely to be the recipients of social investment. I think in terms of challenges, to be honest, across the board, and we've mentioned trustees and boards, I think they are often a bit challenging in terms of they obviously have a huge amount and varied skills and expertise. And particularly if it feels like a bit of a shift change for the charity, I think they can be rightly cautious. But actually, I think there's a shared challenge in terms of winning hearts and minds. I actually think in terms of risk appetite, and actually this probably doesn't come as a surprise, but the smaller charities we work with are often more up for the challenge and up for the risk and that kind of sense of like, let's be quite radical. And actually some of the larger charities where you might think, oh, this is just a drop in the ocean. It's not as risky. You know, it is kind of, I suppose their risk appetite is less actually, or the organization itself is quite complex. And so the number of stakeholders that need to be involved. So Yeah, I think probably two slightly distinct opportunities, but actually common challenges as well. Thanks. And Mark, for a charity leader listening to this who is considering delving deeper into those two buckets of social investment, what would your advice be as somebody who's been through it? I dare to slightly use slightly different terminology to cases. I think that's probably more of a spectrum I mean, I think there are is very heavily weighted at the sort of the startup end, which is particularly easy for sort of newer, smaller charities to access. And that tends to come with a lot of sort of advice and support and quite often with sort of grant funding combined. And then there is an element of sort of more chunky mm. funding for sort of scaling up sort of more established ventures. But I think there is a spectrum to be taken advantage of there. We're, for example, in my organisation, we're looking at a very ambitious capital project at the moment and we're therefore finding a challenge actually finding social investors that are willing to lend enough Um, (laughs) so but in that context actually now what we're looking at is actually it's a big enough project that you can chunk up the different elements and then you can potentially look at financing separately so I think social investment will end up being a big part of that particular project but probably for elements of it rather than necessarily for the whole the other thing that I'd think is getting a little bit dry, but I think is important is your corporate governance and your Mm. structure as a charity. And another way that you can maximise the flexibility and the range of different sort of funding that's available through social investment is actually structuring your charity differently. So using subsidiaries to actually ring fence particular projects and schemes. So for example, we're looking at a mixed investment and grant model for a new business that we're trying to get off the ground at the moment but we're managing that through a subsidiary so effectively it's a startup new business looking for social investment to get off the ground even though we're actually quite an established organization that in the main charity is talking to social finance and Macmillan about funding opportunities to progress the integration agenda and then separately with some of our more established businesses, we're actually looking at much more ambitious projects where social investment will sit alongside more traditional borrowing. A big spectrum. So you can, you know, and and we're a, you know, we're a medium large charity, but we're local. Mm. So if we can do it, and 10 years ago, we weren't doing any of this. I think it's perfectly possible for a wide range of charities to build capability around this. And I think the key is, as you get experience and build confidence, 
allows you to think differently, not just about accessing the finance, but it gets you to think differently about your organisation and how you achieve your charitable purpose. Brilliant. And then just last point on this demystifying agenda. Katie, you mentioned good finance Mm. and big society capital as places to go to find out more. Any other suggestions on where people can go to look for more information? I mean, they're my Google go-tos, so I would very much recommend them. Well, I mean, I would be delighted if anyone that wants to find out more would maybe get in touch with me, like via you guys, because as I said, we're working with the Barrow Cadbury Trust with funding through their access fund to run a series of open access kind of lunch and learns and demystifying sessions but yeah my go-to is good finance big society capital but then please if you want to find out more be delighted to invite anyone that wants to to some of these events we've got planned brilliant well thank you so much to you both mark and katie it was a real pleasure having you on thank you very much thanks Well, that's it for this week. Next week, Rory and I will be back to talk about how charities can work with student populations for fundraising and volunteering opportunities. We'll be joined by the founder of a student initiative run by Islamic Relief and a recent graduate who is passionate about the sector. Many thanks to our guests, Katie Saunders and Mark Jarman-Howe. And thank you to our studio producer, Nav Powell.